Welcome to Manager Tools. Today we cover the first part of our show on the High C Manager Simple Downfall. If you're familiar with DISC and you're a High C Manager or you have a High C Manager working for you, there are a few behaviors you're likely to fall into or see in your directs that we need to talk about. Here we go. What do you want to talk about today? <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Let's make something up. <laughs> let's, let's let's talk about me. <laughs> Enough about you. Oh yeah, that's right. Let's talk about yeah, me. Yeah, you. You know, I don't really think about it that way, but that's probably how you read this, right? Well, kind of, a little bit. Not not that mm-hmm. I got defensive or anything. I just sat here. You should see all the red ink on the show notes. Like, yeah, I can't believe he's saying that. Yeah, this is wrong. This is wrong, and Absolutely. you should know because you're a high C. Well, imagine how much fun you'll have when we talk about me. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I am waiting with bated breath. Yeah, the problem is, see, it's, a, it's, about, it's about an insidious practice, and high I, high D managers don't have any insidious practices, so it'll be a somewhat brief cast. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So, brief. folks, if you haven't figured it out by now, we're going to talk about this today. We're going to talk about high Cs and some of the things high Cs do as managers and get themselves into trouble and how to stop it. And so... I'm just going to sit back, listen, yeah. take it all in, and see if I can figure yeah. out how to fix myself. Yeah, we're going to do four separate casts, and perhaps more, even more than that, on this theme of for each behavioral type, high D, high I, high S, and high C, what are the weakness or the insidious practice or or the biggest common fault of that type of manager. This cast, we start with high C managers. In part, we're doing this is because we know that the podcasting audience skews technical. And when we go into technical organizations, we see a lot of high D, high C managers. We know that technical organizations tend to draw toward them those people who are task-focused, which are the D and C folks. But look, the point of this is this is one of at least four casts, and all of us as managers and as individuals, as professionals, have foibles, right? We have our weaknesses, our mistakes. Usually, the mistakes, the errors, our weakness, our downfall, and this is that's what this this cast is called, right? High C manager, simple downfall. Our downfall is pressing our strength too far until it becomes a weakness, right? The first thing, you know, when you get in a hole, the first thing you want to do is stop digging, right? Right, exactly. And as high seas, we have this uh, big shovel that we use. We use it often. And uh, frankly, it's pretty effective sometimes. So but look, before we do this, though, I know we have it in the show notes later, but I know I can, I'm just tuned in to our audience. And I know that there's some folks who are newer, newer to manager tools and don't know what a high C is, let alone a high D, I, or S. So Let's skip ahead a little bit, and before we go any further, right, you're let's right. put those folks' uh, fears to rest and just talk a little bit about DISC and what it is so folks can kind of get on board here. Yeah. So for those of you who may not be familiar with the terminology we're talking about here, we're using our, the DISC profile information to characterize the behavioral tendencies of managers. DISC is a behavioral profiling system that we at Manager Tools really, really like. 
If you're familiar with Myers-Briggs, DISC and Myers-Briggs are sometimes lumped together. They're, they're similar. There are many, many, many profiles out there. A lot of them, if you've taken one before, they're often, people tend to refer to them as personality profiles. You know, I can't speak for the other ones, um, but I can tell you that DISC is not a personality profile. It simply measures your behavior and then predicts your behavior based on what you tell it, your natural tendencies are in terms of behavioral preferences, how you tend to behave when you're not thinking about behaving. And the reason we like DISC because it doesn't tell you your personality. It doesn't so tell you this is who you are, which is something that we think Myers-Briggs does. No, please, no offense to Myers-Briggs folks. We know there are many of you out there that like it. We prefer DISC. Uh, there's, there's room in the world. It's an abundant world. There's room in the world for all different approaches to communication and so on. The reason we like DISC is because it doesn't tell you this is who you are. It doesn't sell it, tell you this is your destiny. DISC says, based on your answers to 28 questions, this is how you behave when you tend to think about behaving. And what we at Manager's Tools do, and, and frankly, we I think we're one of the few, if not the only company in the world that takes DISC to the next level and says, okay, this is how you tend to behave when you're not thinking about behaving. Maybe you're a high D, high I, high S, I see. I'll talk about that in just a moment. But here's the real key to DISC. You can behave any way you want if you think about it first. Folks, if you're in conflict with somebody at work, uh, a peer of yours, or even your boss, uh, and we're not talking about a boss who's a micromanager or arrogant and abusive. I'm talking about somebody that you're in conflict with. I'm not talking about necessarily fighting, but you just don't get along with or you don't have good communication with or you don't have good connection with. We would be willing to bet in 60 plus percent of the cases, it's a fundamental difference of style. You're a D and she's an I or you're a C and he's a D uh, or you're a C and he's an I. And again, we'll talk about what those mean in just a moment. It, it basically is a way of characterizing people, not scapegoating, not, not blaming, not labeling, but giving you a rough idea, a, a general categorization of the tendencies that people have. And frankly, all of us have all of these behaviors available to us at all times. This is a matter of which ones we tend to do most often that make up our tendencies. We believe that you can behave any way you want to. And if you're willing to think about how the other person behaves, watch them behave, listen to them behave, and then change the way you communicate to behave more like them, to communicate more like them, you'll greatly reduce your chances for conflict. Okay, so that's the background. The way DISC works is it breaks all people up into four easy categories. Now, there's more subtlety than this. Believe me, when you get a profile done, I've never had a person say anything other than, wow, this is surprisingly accurate. And they're available on our website, but you can get them anywhere we offer them just because we feel so strongly about it. I think part of the reason we sell so many on our website is we cheap price it less than everybody else because it's not the business we're in. We just want you to have good information about how you interact with others at work. And if you're butting your head against the wall, it's probably because you're from England and they're from France, right? It's, it's a fundamental difference in terms of how you behave. So the four major profiles are D, I, S, and C. That's where the name DISC comes from. D stands for dominant. These are aggressive, assertive, task-focused people. They're the taskmasters, the hard-driving, take-no-prisoners. Uh, it's okay if you bleed. I ain't got time to bleed. If somebody dies on the way, it doesn't matter. All we have to do is get to the objective. They're people that can absolutely take a hill. There are people who lead change initiatives, and it maybe is messy, but they always get there, get to the top of the hill. They're probably forceful. They're loud. Uh, they make big gestures. They talk fast. They're somewhat irrespect disrespectful of other people's opinions and emotions, but they get done what they're supposed to get done. They focus on work. 
The high eyes of the world are the cheerleaders, the salespeople, the fraternity and sorority presidents and chairpeople of the world. Hi, Mark Horseman, Rush Chairman, damn glad to meet you. Firm handshake, look you dead in the eye, often grab your shoulder when they sh- grab your shoulder or your elbow when they shake your hand. Outgoing, assertive, people focused, always telling stories, uh, tend to dress a little bit more flashily always telling stories, tend to be somewhat unorganized, but know everybody in the organization, always having coffee with somebody, always having lunch with somebody, uh, always behind on deadlines, but knows everybody and can get something done by through a favor in no time at all. The high S's of the world, S stands for steadiness, are um, my phrase now, my, not, not the disc formal phrase, but, uh, but I call them the grandmothers of the group. Uh, these are people who are reserved and people-focused. The first thing to think about is other people, how the other people are doing on the team. You want an S on your team to be the glue that holds everybody together. Mr. Rogers, the American television personality, um, rest in peace, is a classic high S. Uh, Mother Teresa is another classic high S, a world icon. Uh, loving, caring, interested in how other people are doing, dismisses thoughts about themselves, tends to be very averse to change, uh, but very good to have on a team, very concerned about others. When somebody says, how are you? They say, well, I'm fine, but how are you? Tell me how you sit down. Please tell me you know, how you're doing and what can I do to help you and so on. And the high seas of the world, which is our focus today, are the conscientious managers. These are the perfectionists, the engineers, the accountants. They're reserved and task-focused. They like things to be right, whereas a high D, instead of saying ready, aim, fire, would say ready, fire. <laughs> the high C would say ready, aim, 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 aim. If you know somebody who tends to act by analysis, by paralysis, that person is probably a high C. We need high Cs, though, because high Cs keep the Ds and Is from running the company off the rails. They're great for keeping things straight. They're heavily involved in IT and finance and accounting organizations. IT organizations tend to be full of high D, high C managers. They like things done just so. Uh, they, They know that garbage in, garbage out. And uh, frankly, if you were as organized as them, you wouldn't have to work all hours and be as messy and behind on things. Missing a deadline to IC is akin to public suicide. They just don't do it. So that's the four types. That's an overly simplified drawing of each. But hopefully that gives you some sense of what we're talking about here. And we encourage you. Look, if you don't know, we encourage you go get the disk profile done. And I promise you, we'll be happy to refund your money if you don't read it and say, oh, my gosh. This is really very accurate. Yeah. And don't forget, we have we have several podcasts available on the site that go into detail, a lot of detail on each of the different profiles. So, um, no, and again, if you've been a long-time listener, you, you know what DISC is by now. But the, for those of you who, who are new to the show and or haven't delved into DISC, we thought that might be terribly useful and inform you a little bit for this, this ensuing yeah. discussion. And so – because we have all these different profiles out there and you, you can have, you know, you can be DI or you can be DC. You can have, you know, typically you don't have high scores in, in all of them. Um, right now. But, yeah. but so you can have, you can have combinations of them. Um, but because we're all different generally, then there's the potential for conflict. And because you're different, your tendencies sometimes can be, be foibles. They can impact you poorly and yeah high d's for example the dominants are you know they're they're prone to interrupt folks right they just want to get work done yeah. so they don't mind interrupting right. people right it's not personal right right they and, yeah. and they don't tend to praise people right they no um yeah. and they sometimes um their demands can be quite 
nerve shattering, actually, because I want it now. Nothing's impossible for the person who doesn't have to do it himself. And then high eyes, and and I don't know, I know at least one, you know, narcissist that they are. (laughs) (laughs) If I hadn't written that word, I might challenge you. They're they're messy, right? I mean, they're 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 great people, people, but. They sometimes that's you find them around the water cool and that's all they're doing. They're just talking. Yeah, they don't follow through. They don't follow through. They want people to love them, but they don't want to do the work. They just want to be loved for themselves. They love glad handing people. They love going to parties. If you hate going to parties, it just drives you crazy. You're not a high I. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And if you love going to parties, you're not a high C. Right. Then high S's, you know, they're. You know, steadiness. They're not. Uh, they're not really big into change. So they can dither on, de- on deadlines. They can be resistant to change. They they yeah. have. They can project this uh, this culture of protection around everybody that can be frustrating for us high D's in the world, and then high C's. Well, we're always right, so we have no force. <laughs> You're perfect. You're perfectionist. You're perfect, right? Yeah. Hey, look, high C's have foibles just like everybody else. The high C foible is that he or she can't leave well enough alone, right? An idea comes to them and the high C feels obligated to correct it, to improve it because it's not perfect. And because they're the boss, they know immediately how it can be made better. Marshall Goldsmith, in his fantastic book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, calls this adding too much value. In other words, a direct comes to you with an earth-shattering idea, and the, the high C manager, knowing that it's a great idea, says, yeah, but we'd have to consider this, and this would be important too, and you couldn't do it without this and that and that. And they're essentially adding too much value because they, in correcting and providing all kinds of corrections, in other words, focusing on the 1% of that that idea that's between 99% and 100, and 100 would be the most perfect idea, business idea of all time, focusing on the 1%, which exists, it's not a perfect idea, it will not make you a billion dollars magically overnight in front of your feet in cash that's untraceable, right? Uh, it's not technically perfect. Focusing on that 1% devalues the other 99, right? This is the perfectionist, right? They hear the idea, they hear the suggestion, and again, they they feel compelled. I mean, I, Mike, I mean, I know you feel this way, and I've learned it's not personal. You're not saying the 99 is not good. You're just saying, hey, I can make this better. Why wouldn't we want to make it better, right? They point out something that either isn't right or, in their opinion, could be made better. And look, the pursuit of perfection is often a good thing. Sometimes it's not, but often it is. The direct who hears the manager, the high C manager, though, adding too much value, as Marshall says, or, you know, essentially finding fault with recommendations and ideas, doesn't hear this is good. What he or she hears is this is wrong, right? Because they're focusing on the gap between good and bad or good and perfect, right? And good is always not perfect, so therefore it's always technically not as right as it could be, right? And it just screams for a high C to to add input. And and high Cs, we're not attacking you here. We understand your rationale. We're not saying you're wrong. In the same way that a high I who's messy or misses deadlines isn't wrong, it's just not as effective as perhaps a different course of behavior at certain times. So the direct hears this is wrong. Here's how it can be proved uh, improved. Or when the direct shares a potential solution, the high C manager says, well, that won't work because of this flaw in your recommended action. Yeah. And, and, and just to be clear, just to defend high C's here a little bit, we're not saying that the idea recommendation is a bad one or is wrong. 
again, we just want to make it better, right? Right. In fact, you probably wouldn't provide a suggestion for improvement if you thought it was wrong. Because if it's wrong, you're obligated just as a seeker of truth, as a perfectionist, to say, that's wrong, right? Yeah, exactly. In fact, folks, l- l- listen carefully to this. The high C manager who provides insights to help you get better, who says, well, here are the three or four things you need to work on. That is their way of praising you because if it wasn't good enough to deserve potential improvements, they would say to you without any hint of they're not being rude. They're not being inappropriate. They're not trying to put you down. They're not cutting your idea. They're simply stating a cosmic fact that their analysis is probably superior to yours. They're your boss and saying you're wrong, right? And and they don't mean, they don't want to hurt your feelings. They're just going to say that's wrong. Two plus two is not five. That idea won't work. And please, I love you. And that idea won't work. Of course, a high C wouldn't say that, but the high C, when he or she chooses to say, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? They do intend to say, I like the idea. It's a good idea, but they don't say it because what they're focused on is the gap between how good it is and how perfect it could be. Yeah. Did I, did I say that right? I mean, is that, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. And what I've learned though, it really doesn't matter what my intent is. My intent is yeah, good. exactly. The fact of the matter is what the direct hears is that is wrong. They don't look at it as, oh, he likes my idea and he's offering ideas for improvement. No, no. All he hears is that was wrong. Yeah. And we didn't say that what the manager, high C manager said was wrong. We said what the direct heard was wrong. Right? What the direct heard was, my idea was wrong. Exactly. And this is a simple case of miscommunication. Yeah. And if, ma- if we want to be effective as managers, then we got to get off our high horse. And for, for high seas, sometimes, because we think we're so bright and we got all the facts, it's hard yep. for us, but we got to get off our high horse and figure out that it's much better to be effective than it is to be right. There you go. We, we talk about this at conferences almost every time. You, you now in the last year or so have interjected and talked directly to the C's in the room and said, don't fall prey to it, right? Don't sacrifice effectiveness on the altar of accuracy, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And look, folks, that's the fundamental problem with most communication. What is said, the high C correcting, improving, which is a form of praise, is not what is heard. I didn't get just praise. My idea got shot down. And disk profiles help us see the gaps between what our own and what others' tendencies are and helps us avoid these subtle miscommunications. And look, we call them subtle not because they're slight, because they don't feel slight when your high C boss corrects you with an idea that you thought was literally the moon and the stars. We say they're subtle because neither side really can positively address the potential disconnect because the high C is saying something that makes sense. The non-high C direct is is saying, well, clearly I got my feelings heard. My feelings aren't wrong. How I feel is okay. Mark says how I feel is okay. And what we have is one intent, another outcome, and it's all because of different communication and behavioral styles. High Cs tend to discount praise. They tend to stay factual. They discount the people involved. They focus more on the work, more on the process, more on the task, more on the project. If you're a high C boss and you do this a lot, and look, folks, if you're an IT manager, then we'd guess you do this a lot. (laughs) If you do it a lot, you'd better hope you have some really bright, really tough directs because all your improvements, all these subtle praises, you know, some C's would say, no, that's praise, man. I, I like this idea and I don't spend time trying to make bad ideas better. I only spend time trying to improve the good ones. So if I've given you some suggestions for improvement, I've basically said, I like the idea. 
right? Because basically all those improvements you're suggesting are going to irritate the hell out of your directs enough so that they're going to stop suggesting things and you're going to increasingly be running things by actually doing things, right? Because they're not going to do stuff for you. They're not going to push forward. If it seems lately that you've been getting involved in more details than you used to, if you're a high C manager, this very issue might be the long-standing and slow-burning cause of it. And the purpose of this cast is to provide you an easy solution. And it's really not even that hard to do. It's easy to understand, and it's not very hard to do. Yeah. Now, before you do that, though, we got some folks who are listening to us, at least like, probably about 75%, uh, maybe less because our audience tends to skew technical. But we'll say we have at least half of our audience that are not high Cs. And so for those folks, why shouldn't they just turn us turn us off right now? Huh, huh. Well, that's a good one. Um, really, two reasons. One, you're going to work for a high C. You ought to know. You ought to know what happens why they're doing what they're doing. You ought to know how they might attempt to correct it. And look, even if you don't work for high C, what if you have high C managers working for you? You're the director and you have high C managers working for you and you wonder why their teams are disengaged. You wonder why they're not highly functioning. Well, it may very well be because of this subtle, simple downfall that they tend to try to add too much value, right? There you go. So further... We also ought to listen because if we're an executive, we need to be able to see other people's behaviors, draw the appropriate conclusions, and modify our behavior to be effective. The more we pay attention to other people's behaviors, we don't just take it for granted. We don't just say he's an engineer, so therefore he's this and so on. The more we pay attention to it, the better we're going to get at it. And folks, if you think you're going to magically become an an executive when you get the promotion, you're nuts. They don't promote managers to executives who haven't already shown they can use manager, I'm sorry, executive behaviors. Executive behaviors mean way undervaluing your role power and way overvaluing your relationship power. It means getting things done by politics. We've said it before on air. What you call politics at your level, executives call collaboration. And you have to know that politics and collaboration, whatever you want to call it, is about interpersonal relationships and it's about communication. You've got to develop these skills now. And if you're a high eye manager, maybe these particular skills don't apply to you, but I'd be willing to bet the smart ones out there, you listen to this cast of what the high, high C's foible is, you'll be able to figure out what the high I's foible is. Just go back and read your profile and you'll be able to figure out how to engage in behavior change to, to overcome it. If for no other reason than you need it when you're in a hole and you know, the first thing you do is stop digging. Exactly. Okay. So you said it's easy, the solution. Yeah. So what's the solution? Yeah. I I said it was easy just to, you know, make it easy for the high C's, but this is the hardest group. I don't know why I started with high C's. Maybe I was poking my finger at you just for fun. Maybe. Maybe. Um, We'll do high I's last so you can just have a field day with me. Although folks, just to be fair, Mike is a high D high C and I'm a high D high I. So we share a lot in common. We're both willing to take the hill and have him have the other one die while we get there. Um, as long as you die correctly. <laughs> as long as you, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm going to die messily if that's, if it makes you uncomfortable. I, you know, I'm going to die messily, but I'm going to get a big medal. Um, you're going to, you're going to die neatly. Um, I don't know. Maybe you'll get a medal. Maybe you won't. Um, you won't be able to write your own citation. That'll be a problem. I won't, really won't do it well. Yeah. Um, okay. Five steps. First, stop giving voice only to corrections and improvements. That's the big one, right? Uh, number two, verbalize the positive first. 
Number three, don't give introductory praise, but some of you have been with us for a while know that we had a, a meme on the on the website a while back called Complabuts. It's still there if you look for it. Don't give Complabuts. Then number four, praise and then amplify only in one sentence. Use a one-sentence description, praise them, and then amplify in what the praise means. And then number five is end with thank you. And there's no correction in there. We'll talk at the end of the cast briefly about how to add corrections, but you don't have to because three-quarters of the world doesn't, and they did, they've done just fine, apparently. Good. Okay, so on to our first bullet point. Stop giving voice only to corrections and improvements. So I, I want to question here because I, what I'm worried about here is you're basically telling me to like stop doing it, just like stop it, right? Yeah. Which, that's not what you're saying, right? Uh, actually, our first piece, the first sentence in the show notes, Mike, is our first piece of guidance is stop it and stop it with an exclamation point is in all caps. Yeah. You know, we can take you through a 25-step process, but the answer is really stop it. I can talk around this a number of different ways. We often say, the you know, one enforcement laws is the other way work just fine. There's somebody in your organization who has succeeded to the exact same level as you have with exactly the opposite tendencies, behaviors, and intentions that you have. For every high C that is super, super analytical and perfectionist, there's a high I who's messy and just knows how to get things done through people. For every high S who's reserved and quiet and thinking about the team, there's a high D who's willing to throw three C people on an, on, a, on an altar, sacrifice them in order to get to the top. You know, we alluded to Marshall Goldsmith's book earlier, um, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. I don't know if we said it, but let me be clear. It's one of my favorite business books of all time. I don't know if I said it was great, but it was great. I don't know if I said you should read it, but you should read it. <laughs> it's fabulous. Marshall said in his books, in this book, that when jerks are confronted with their egregious behavior, often they make grand plans for change. They decide to greet everybody differently. They decide to apologize to everyone uh, repeatedly. They decide that they're going to reward their top people with verbal praise every day, and they have a plan for doing it in a time of day when they're going to do it. They commit to new behaviors, and they commit to having 25 of them scheduled in the first week. And then, of course, they fail after two days. Marshall's basically right. We, we love Marshall because he talks about behavior. Manager Tools and Marshall disagree a little bit on feedback, but, but he's not wrong. We just have a different way of using the word. But Marshall is with us that it's all about behavior. He's right when he says, to stop being a jerk, you don't have to be a prince overnight. First... It's enough to simply stop being a jerk. You don't have to become great at being a prince to stop being a jerk. If you simply stop doing the things that made you a jerk, you'd be halfway there. Those folks who make the big plans don't fail because they keep being jerks. They fail because they don't become something completely different overnight. And you're not going to either, by the way. They admit failure, and they go back to accepted patterns. And frankly, if they're an executive level or a high managerial level, why should they doubt that apparently it's reasonably effective? Of course, that jump from managerial to effective executive life is enormously more difficult than people understand. And look, they go back to those accepted patterns, and folks, they wouldn't describe those accepted patterns as being a jerk, right? Now, look, to be fair here, we're using Marshall's word, which is jerk. 
We're not tr- trying to suggest to you. We're not, folks. Please don't get us wrong. We're using an analogy to Marshall's book and about the, the need to behavior change in small steps. We're not saying that you that you guys who are high C's and super smart perfectionist bosses are necessarily jerks. You're not. It's much more like the high D's, which, by the way, Mike and I share as well, are the jerks of the world. Although you can have a high I, high S, high C, high D boss, and they are, any one of those could be a jerk, right? So we're not saying that you're a jerk. We are saying that the road to change doesn't go from jerk to star in a week in a moment of conversion, a religious epiphany, okay? You don't go from high C perfectionist always changing everyone to magically praising everyone perfectly and never again thinking at all about how you can improve a particular idea. There is some middle ground in most behavioral change efforts And it's easiest to make notable changes to start by saying, hey, look, let me just get to the middle ground first. Let me just simply stop engaging in the ineffective stuff I'm doing. Let's get get that down. Let's get down the the process or the repetitive pattern or the habit of just not doing corrections and improvements every time. I don't have to do the right thing. I'm just going to shut up about the other thing that I know is hurting people now that I think it through and I've listened to the cast, Right. And then once I get that down, then I can also start trying to do effective things. And frankly, you may not know how to do effective things in the beginning. And so we recommend just stopping the ineffective things. Yeah. And when you're constantly correcting, and we know that's not what you think you're doing, but that's what your directs think you're doing. And look, we respect what you're doing. We know why you do it. We love the fact there are people. I love the fact that Mike is smart enough to see the holes in my ideas because my ideas are not fully formed. It's okay to feel the way you feel, to be driven to make the change. It's okay. We're telling you it's okay. I know you don't, we, we know you don't need our approval, but for some of you younger managers, it might help. And so it's okay to feel that way. Think about this for 20, a 22 year old manager who's a, a technology manager and she gets promoted and she's a high C and she's tough, but she's a perfectionist and she works long hours and her people start coming to her and saying, what about this? What about this? What about this? And they kind of like her. And then she says, yeah, but what about this? And what about this? And you have you thought through that? And I don't know. What about this? What about that? And suddenly she wonders why a year later, why things aren't going well. And she really wanted to be a manager. She really wants to grow with this company. She really wants to be an executive. She thinks her stock options in her future. And she doesn't get it, right? Because she got and, straight yeah. A's in college because she was that. Yeah, way, right? exactly. Yeah. This is something I, I was, I was writing and I started getting passionate about it. And as we start talking about it, I'm like, man, I mean, how many times have you and I said to ourselves, don't we wish we'd have known this stuff when we were 22, 23? Yeah. So yeah. anyway. Yeah. And if somebody, t- and if somebody told me that when I was being a high C, if somebody told me that when I was, you know, 22 or 23 years old, I wouldn't have believed them anyway. So it's, it's, yeah. it's, um, you know, if you're at this state in your life where you're willing to hear new ideas then maybe you're better off than, than I was back then. So you get in this habit of, of looking at things to correct, right? That's what you do. And you, then you start looking for, for problems. You only see the problems, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and you, you look at each tree you say we're walking, you know, we're walking through the forest. We look at each tree and then we just, we catalog what's wrong with each one. Well, that branch yeah, is too yeah. low. That bark is mission, missing. Yeah. The, the <laughs> needles aren't straight, whatever. And we, we catalog each and every tree and everything that's wrong with it. Then we never step back and see the forest that the trees are in, nor how many, many, many more trees are out there and doing just fine. They're healthy. It's a healthy forest. Right. It's overall, it's healthy. Yeah. Exactly. We don't see it. Yeah. All we see is, we see each individual tree with all its mistakes. And yeah. 
it doesn't work, unfortunately. Yeah. And the thing is, it's possible for a forest of trees to be both totally healthy and fine and for there to be many trees in there that need help, right? Yeah. And as like you said, when all you do is look for errors, that's all you see. Your reticular activating system says, look for errors, look for faults, look for, you know, I'm sure we've said it on the, on a cast before where we used to do that exercise where we had two people bring a, a sheet into the, into a room that we were doing manager training in. They would hold up a white bed sheet in front of the group. And in the corner of the sheet, there was a small smudge and you have 25 managers in a room and the guys with the sheet would walk back out and you'd say, what did you see? And they all said smudge right? They can't even see the dudes in the sheet. They just see the error, the mistake, the problem, the 1% that's not right in a, the 99% solution. Yeah. And yeah. your directs hate you for it. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. They do. They think you're showing how smart you are all the time. You think you're training your directs to be detail conscious and they think mm, yeah. that you're just showing how smart you are. They see that person that Marshall says is always adding value, which is essentially too much value and trying to prove you're smarter. And this is what hurts Mike. This is what Mike will tell you in an unguarded moment hurts him. His directs, or even me as his partner sometimes, they see him, or and I'm picking on Mike here, but this is really not fair to him because he's way past this. But they see the high C manager is always putting them down. And Mike would say, good God, are you, are you insane? No. No, we've already made the point that I only give improvement suggestions to ideas that are good to begin with. The ideas that are bad, I am the way, the truth, and light, and I will say that is wrong, <laughs> right? I will say that is an immoral idea right there. You can't do that one. It won't get you there. There's no way. And the high C manager feels a little facon of perfection that they are the one that stands between good ideas and or bad ideas and, and, and bad ideas being implemented. And they say, no, that's wrong. And so if they're giving you suggestions for improvement, they're saying, this is a good idea and I can make it better, which is a form of praise. But unfortunately, not even the high C directs see it that way. Yeah. So look, we're not going to help you right now build a great big plan for your change effort. We don't even need to bother with that. All we're asking you to do, all we're telling you to do, all we're urging you to do all we're begging you to do is just stop correcting everyone and everything all the time. Don't offer your own idea. Let their, uh, their ideas, let your team's ideas, however imperfect they are, stand as is. When you were at their level, you didn't have ideas as good as your ideas or solutions are now, and your ideas got implemented, and somehow you got promoted. There's some sort of connection here between my story about when I was 25, I thought I knew what the heck was going on. And then I turned 30 and I went, oh my God, I thought I knew what was going on when I was 25. I was an idiot. But now that I'm 30, now I know. And then I turned 35. I'm like, oh my God, I thought when I knew, I thought I knew what was going on. So if you're a manager, you're not that far removed from your, what you were as a direct and you don't now need, you don't now know everything. Wait until you become a director and an executive, right? So sometimes when you decry something to the executives in your organization and they roll their eyes, it's not because they think you're dumb. It's just because they remember being that dumb and they understand why you feel that way and you're still wrong and they probably won't be able to explain it to you. So I think you said you interjected, just stop. When your directs say something that you could improve upon or make a suggestion for, just say nothing. You don't even need to say something positive, folks. Just shut up. 
This is how you start changing. Don't make it harder for yourself by having to motivate yourself to both stop and to come up with the right good thing to say. Just say nothing because you're not going to be good at coming up with the right good thing to say in a way that's effective, in a way that's persuasive. Right. So don't don't beat yourself up about it. Yep. For many of you, that's that sounds pretty simple. If you're a high C and you suffer from this, it ain't as simple as it sounds. Yeah, and if you're wondering what how awkward it would be, probably should have put this, and I'm sorry we didn't this is not in the show notes. If you're wondering how awkward it would be to not say anything at all when someone suggests an idea, if you must say something, repeat after me. Thank you. That's all. And then by the way, do it a little faster. Say thank you. And that's it. And you know, if you want to get better at it, close your eyes right now, stop the tape and say thank you ten times. And you'll discover that you'll get better at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you'll, and the next day you go to work, and then you'll try it, and you'll, oh, you'll mess up, and yeah, start all over again. Good, better, best. Thanks, everyone. That's it. We'll conclude this show next week. If this has piqued your interest at all in DISC and effective communications, you might want to check out the Effective Communications Conference, where we cover this all in excruciating detail. We have an Effective Manager Conference coming up in both London and in Washington, D.C. in January 2010. So if that interests you, check out the details on the website, www.managertools.com. All right, folks, we'll see you next week.